This week, Parshas Bamidbar, we start the fourth Sefer of the Torah. Sefer Bamidbar. Sefer Bamidbar is also called Chumash of Akudim, the Chumash of Counting. Because in Sefer Bamidbar, the Jewish people are counted a number of times. And really, we have to stop here and ask ourselves the question that the Jewish people are not, are not meant to be counted. The first pasuk of this week's Torah, the Jewish people will be like the sand on the shore of the sea, which can't be measured and can't be counted. So we're not meant to be counted. And if that's the case, why does Hashem count us again and again and again? Now, of course, we understand. There's a way around this. Instead of counting people, they each gave a coin, a half a shekel, and we count the money. What we need to understand first is that it's true technically that avoids the issue of counting people. But nevertheless, there are reasons why Hashem doesn't want Klai Yisrael to be counted. And if that's the case, if we understand that Klai Yisrael are not meant to be counted, so why does the Torah count them time and again? But first, what are the reasons why Hashem doesn't want Klai to be counted? The first reason, the simple reason, the reason brought in Rashi, is that it's a source of Ayin Hara, when people are counted. And so too we know that Bracha only rests on something which is hidden from the eye. Something which isn't given exact amounts, numbers. And therefore we don't want to categorize clothes from to a certain amount. It could be a source of Ayan Hara. But there are three other reasons also. There are three further explanations why not to count Klai The first of them is that our numbers aren't our strong points. Klai doesn't pride itself on its size. The Torah tells us, You are the smallest of the nations, and we are. We are. We are less than a percent of the world population. We are a few million people, maybe, in a sea of nearly 7 billion. Israel has always been a small nation. Israel doesn't pride itself on its numbers. Our value is on something deeper than just a superficiality of our size. And if that's the case, counting people puts the wrong emphasis on the amount. And Klai Yisrael, we're not trying to emphasize how many we are. Like I said before, that's not our strong point. So therefore, we don't want to count Klai Yisrael. And the second reason, when you count people, so every person is one more digit. But when we see how the way the Torah looks at people, for example, in the battle of Ai, which the Jewish people lost, it says that 36 people fell. And we know it wasn't 36 people. Chazal Teras was one man, Yarbin Menashe. But Yarbin Menashe was so great that his loss to the Jewish people was equivalent to a loss of a majority of the Sanhedrin, which is made up of 71. The majority is 36. Similarly, when the Aaron was brought back to Eretz Yisrael in the time of the Shmuel, in the time of the Plishtim, 
It says the people of Beit Shemesh saw and 50, 50 people, 70,000 people died. And here too Chazal say it wasn't 50 and 70,000 people. It was 50 people. But their loss to Klai Israel was as if it had been 70,000. And the most maybe powerful argument, example of all the Gemara said one lady in Egypt gave birth to 600,000 people. One lady gave birth to 600,000 people. Zuya Chavet Basat Navi, who gave birth to Moshe Rabbeinu, because Shakul Moshe can never call Yisrael. Because Moshe is equivalent to the whole of the Jewish people. And if that's the case, we see in Hashem's eyes, people aren't all one. Not every person is an extra one. Some people, their merit, their schus, the level they are, how much they're doing for Klai makes that one individual worth hundreds, thousands, maybe even the whole Jewish people. And when you're doing a census, and each person is just one more digit in the amount, then you, we, we lose the way that HaKadosh Baruch looks at people. Each person based on the amount they're doing for Klai rather than just the fact that they're another individual. So that's the second reason not to count people. And now we come to the third reason. But for this I want to give a bit of a background. You know, a number of years back, I was asked to lead a trip from Akoro to Eastern Europe, to Poland. And one of the places we were taken to was one of the saddest places in the world. A concentration camp called Treblinka. And the guide who was there was trying to impress upon us the, the enormity of the tragedy of the Holocaust. Told us that here in Treblinka they used to kill 9,000 Jews every day. 9,000 Jews a day. Later that evening I was asked to speak. And I said to Lavrechim who were all there, I said we heard earlier today about a place where 9,000 people were killed a day. I said, I want you to try and make a list. If you know 9,000 people, your friends, your neighbors, your extended family, all the Avrechim and the Koda, all the people in the building. And expanded more than that, your children's friends, their families, people you're diving with in Shul. Are you going to get to 9,000 people? I don't think so. I don't think I could name 9,000 people. But, when it becomes a number, 9,000 becomes a bigger number, 6 million. So yes, it becomes a, a tragedy. So many people. But it loses identity. It's just numbers. I said, if you would follow the story of one individual, who was a child, he had a family, he grew up, he got married, he had children, he had a life, he had goals, he had achievements. And in the middle of all of that, 
He was dragged to Treblinka and killed. I think it's much more moving. The tragedy of the individual that a person can connect to. Than just statistics of how many people, nameless, faceless individuals who just blend into statistics. Someone told me after Miran. Says they had one or two people died and you'd heard about them and knew their life story. In a way, it would have moved people more than hearing 45 people got nifta. That's a huge amount. But then it's looked at as a statistic. Take the life of one of those people. Find out the details about that one individual and the tragedy of their untimely demise. And in a way that's more moving than just hearing about numbers. Statistics are impersonal. Statistics, each individual loses identity. And if that's the case, to count Klai Yisrael is to reduce them to statistics, to numbers, to amounts. And you lose the value of the individual when you do that. So we have three reasons why not to count the Jewish people. Four reasons. The first one, like I said, not to increase or cause an ayin hara. The second one, not to view our value in the terms of our physical size. The third one, Counting people makes us think of everybody as being the same and doing the same and having the same, so to speak, weight of what they do for the Jewish people. And the fourth one, because when we reduce people to statistics, then we no longer see them as individuals. And if this is all the case, Rabbi Isai, so now we're ready to ask the question we began with. So let's ask it again. We now know why it's not was not advisable to count the Jewish people. Why Kodesh Baruch Hu doesn't want the Jewish people counted. Why then does the Torah instruct Moshe Rabbeinu to count the Jews again and again and again? Isn't this going against the very principle that the Torah itself says that we shouldn't count Yidin? So to answer this question, I'd like to share with you a story which I heard from a mechanic in America. And this mechanic said that during the summer he and his family used to go to a bungalow colony in the mountains and while there there were many other families also of Megiddo Shurim Rabbanim, whatever it was and they used to have a best measures. And while other families in the Bangladesh colony spent their time maybe swimming or doing other activities, so the Bnei Torah used to congregate in the best measures of the colony and sit in there. And so there was one man who also used to come and learn in the Bangladesh colony's best measures. Somebody from the way he dressed, from the look on his face, didn't look like he was somebody who was involved in learning. At least not on a regular basis. But he would bring his Ask for Gemara and he would sit in the back and learn. 
And the market share in the story decided he's going to befriend this individual. So he used to go over to him, greet him, got to know him a little bit. And one day he asked him, tell me something. It's lovely to see that you're always coming to learn here in the best Madras. Normally the people who are here are people who spend their whole year learning. What brings you to the best Madras every day in the summer? And this man said he was recovering from chemotherapy. He didn't have that much energy. And therefore he preferred to sit and learn and do other activities which would be more draining. Okay, the Magachir in our story continued to befriend him, to talk to him, to wish him well, ask how he was feeling. And one day he sees that this man comes to Beth Medrash, he's looking very depressed. So Magachir goes over to him, Good morning my friend, I see you looking a bit down today, what's the problem? He says, you know, I'm thinking about when I come in the Beth Medrash, I sit in the back, and I look around, and I see everybody around all much more Senior Tamilikhomim, more experienced in learning. The level of their learning is something I can't understand. The amount of their knowledge is beyond my comprehension. And I feel what am I really achieving? Sitting in the back, doing what I'm doing. It's substandard. I don't really feel there's any value to my learning. When I look around me in the company of people who are so much greater than I am. So obviously the Magachir wants to give him some chizok. And you remember the story you had heard. So he says to this man, I want to share with you a story. And he told him a story of the famous Italian composer, I think he said the name was Tascanini. He was meant to be a world famous conductor. And one time he was invited to listen to a performance of the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. For those of you that know, the Romanic Orchestra isn't just a small band. It's an orchestra where you can have 60, 70, maybe even more musicians on stage. And there are all kinds of wind instruments. And there are a number of trombone players, saxophone players, trumpet players. And when you come to the string instruments, there are a number of violinists. And people with uh, various kinds of harps, guitars maybe. And altogether, they form a Romanic Orchestra. They had just rehearsed for a certain production and they invited, like I said, the conductor Tascanini to come and listen to them. And they played their piece. And afterwards they asked him, What is your opinion? So he said, The sixth the sixth violinist was missing. What? He said, There's meant to be six violins playing that piece, and the sixth violinist was missing. So I said to him, actually you're right, we do have a sixth violinist, but he called in sick today. But how could you tell? When you're hearing the sounds of music being played by over 70 people, how could you tell the sixth violinist was missing? So his answer to them pretty much was, you don't understand music. And you understand that when you're listening to an orchestra, even though all the instruments are playing, each one's adding its touch. There's a certain harmony which these two are playing. There's a certain second, so to speak, undercurrent which is coming from this instrument. And this piece had a certain nuance which the sixth violin is meant to add and was missing. I could hear it wasn't there. So going back to our story, 
Ramagit Shia tells the story to the man in the Bangla colony. And he says to him, you should know, our best marriage is like a symphony orchestra. When everybody's learning, everyone's playing their instruments. And there may be the more important instruments, and there may be the louder or more dominant instruments. But you should know that if you wouldn't be here, HaKadosh Baruch would hear the sixth violin is missing. The harmony is not complete. There's a certain nuance your learning is adding. A certain sound that's contributing to the Philharmonic Orchestra of a Bess Medrash learning. And you, that's what you need it for. We know Klai Yisrael compared to two things Rabbi said. Klai Yisrael are sometimes compared to the stars of the sky. And sometimes they're compared to the dust on the shore of the sea. What's the difference when Klai Yisrael compared to stars? And what's the difference when Klai Yisrael compared to sand? So of course, one's up in the sky and one's down on the ground. Chazal say this. Chazal say, Bizman Klai Yisrael did Ritzayinishal Makom. They fulfill the will of Hashem. They lack stars. And when Klai Yisrael are not fulfilling the will of Hashem, they lack sand. But it's not just a question of up or down. There's another point also. What are we going to see? There are two words in the Torah for counting. One word is to be so fair to count. That's a normal word the Torah uses for counting. And on that, the Torah says about the Jewish people, suffer. The Jewish people won't be counted. But there's another word. We hear, we look in our parish and we'll see again and again and again. And that word is poiked. Tifkadem. Number them. Like we said, chumash apakudim. The chumash of the counting. What's the difference between the word to be safer, to count, or the word to be poiked? So if we look, we'll see the word poiked has a different meaning. We have in Megillus Esther as an example, but there are many examples like this. The king should appoint appointees to do a job. Someone in the army was Vayafked the army. doesn't just mean to count the amount of soldiers. It means to give duties to soldiers. And therefore, when you have a lot of people and you have to divide the responsibilities, we apportion jobs, we apportion responsibilities to each one. That's being poiked. Making someone a poiked is making him somebody who has a certain job to do. And if that's the case, when counting reduces everybody to numbers. There's no individuality. It's just a part of a statistic. Being poiked means out of that mass of people, out of a group, you're counting. But you're counting in a way where everyone has the nuance they're meant to play. When you're talking about the Philharmonic Orchestra we mentioned before, it's not just 70 musicians on stage. It's 70 musicians. 
But you're counting each one because they're playing their note. They're using their instrument. So it's counting of individuals. It's not counting in a way where everybody is just a statistic. That's the difference between the stars and the sands. You can't combine stars. Each star is an independent entity. And this is the Pasuk. Hamoiti b'mispar tzvam. Hashem takes out the stars with numbers, with tremendous numbers. But l'chulom sheim yikra. Each star is a name. Because each star is a job. So out of the thousands of stars, and yes, so count all the stars, but each one is playing its part. As opposed to sand. When you take sand, you mix it with water, and it all joins together into clay, into mud, into whatever it's going to be. And each individual grain has lost its identity. So it's just become part of a mess. We don't count Klai Israel. We don't reduce them all just to a mass of people. But we are poiket Klai Yisrael. We count them in a way where each one retains his individuality. Within this group, each one has the part they're meant to play. And therefore, the bigger the group, the more independent duties and responsibilities there are within that group. That's being poiket. And the pastors again and again, tifkadem, tifkadem. Count them and give them a job. Give them the responsibility they're meant to have. And then when a person does that, he doesn't have the problem of counting Klai Yisrael. On the contrary, that's a way of counting which gives value to each individual, which gives direction to each individual, which entrusts everybody with a job. To sum up what we said tonight, that's also to count the individuals of Klai Yisrael. But it's a khilf to make each individual in Klai Yisrael count.